This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh, dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity has turned the lake massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Hey there, everyone. This is Chris. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> ah, nice. Oh, I'm Jesse. Welcome, everyone, to the Geology Flannelcast, the premier geology podcast. Hope everyone's having a spectacular day. It is April 21st, 2021 today. And we... Oh, ha- tomorrow. Tomorrow is Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, everyone. Woo! Oh, happy yeah. Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Nice. Um, well, we're going to be talking about the Earth today. So I don't know uh, if that's Earth Day related. Favorite. <laughs> my, my favorite subject. <laughs> there, there goes all my Mars notes. <laughs> Whoops, Daisy. Well, we got, uh, we got, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast started, and uh, so the topic of today, today's uh, podcast is going to be on Harry Hess and uh, the discovery of seafloor spreading and the whole story about how this thing came about. And, you know, we weren't really trying to come up with a multi episode, uh, you know, series on, on, you know, plate tectonics, but it just kind of, just kind of fell into place and just, you know, it just kind of felt right. So that's what we're doing today. Kind of continuing the plate tectonic theme. And, uh, we talked about, uh, uh, Alfred Wegner last week and this week we're, uh, kind of picking up from there and bringing it on to, uh, to good friend of the podcast, Harry Hess. Yeah. It's like, uh, Plate tectonics April yeah. rolls just, off the tongue. I just realized the the title of the outline here. I love it. <laughs> I didn't notice it. Go ahead, say it, Chris. Uh, I don't even have the outline up right now. It's just, oh, it's oh. a guy at the right place at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Harry Hess. Well, Harry Hammond Hess was born on May twenty fourth, nineteen oh six. And he passed away on August 25th, 1969. And this dude is considered like the godfather when it comes to plate tectonics. He put together some, uh, some, uh, you know, really amazing information and just came up with it. it was credited for, you know, being, like I said, the godfather of the most influential theory, like in geology to date, you know, plate tectonics is the, um, like kind of like this, like all-encompassing theory. Um, you know, it brings everything together in uh, in geology, and it's uh, it's equivalent to I would say it's equivalent to like Darwin and evolution. Yeah, sea wow, floor, exactly. Seafloor spreading, you know, ties together plate tectonics. That that is a great analogy, and it really does put it into perspective. Like, wow, it's the grand unifying theory of of geology, plate tectonics. And they just there. came out with it. Well, it didn't just come out with it, but it really, it was introduced. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was really, it started to be introduced in the 1960s. So that's like 80 years ago. That's, and that's not that long ago, you know, considering. All right. Uh, 1960 but, is not 80 years ago. Yeah, let's, oh, let's run those numbers. Let's slow those it down. Let's slow it down. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
60, 60 years ago. Excuse me. Thank you. Oh, me. Wow. I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now, I was worried. I'm like, wait, am I getting close to 80? <laughs> Should I be retiring soon? <laughs> yeah, like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I'm, I apologize for that. It's been it's been a long day. So uh, yeah. if that's the biggest mistake I make all day today for the podcast. I will be thrilled. All right. So bear with me. <laughs> all right. So let's let's get back to the man, the myth, the legend known as Harry Hammond Hess. All right. So homeboy was born in New York City and he grew up in Asbury Park. You guys know anyone else from Asbury Park, New Jersey? Only, only the other grand unifier, the boss. Yeah, the boss. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, and I'm, I, I'm going to anger a lot of people. I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah, I'm yeah. not really either. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I, no, he, he he has his place. I'm just not a huge fan. I like I like him. I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan. I <clears throat> the E Street Band in high school. I played the trumpet I used belonged to Max Weinberg, who's the drummer. Stop it. His, yeah, it was his Wait. dad's trumpet. What? Yeah. Pretty sure I broke it too. <laughs> anyway. Me. Nice. If anyone, if Max Weinberg so, is listening, my bad. That's oh, okay. So there's your first your first uh, connection to Harry Hess, right? We'll play like the, like the, was it the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Play like the, the yeah, six there degrees you of go. Harry Hess right there with Jesse. Jesse has multiple <laughs> connections to Harry Hess. We found out apparently. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get some background info on Harry Hess. Uh, Harry Hess went to school at Yale and geology was not the first thing. It was not his first major in school. Uh, his first major was electrical engineering and uh, something happened. And he's like, you know, what? I don't know. this geology thing's pretty dope. We'll, we'll go, we'll switch over to geology, uh, switched over to geology, got his degree in geology and the rest was history. Uh, fun little fact or like fun little uh, side note, apparently about uh, Harry Hess when he was in school, apparently he flunked his first course in mineralogy while he was at Yale and he was told huh. he had no future in the field. <laughs> you know who else that was told to? Who? Me. You, I was going to say. Is it you? <laughs> yeah. I was told maybe science isn't for you. Uh, oh. I, this is something I haven't admitted on the podcast, too, but I, too, failed mineralogy and was told maybe this isn't for you. <laughs> well, there you go. Anybody that's ever from a good friend of the show, Dr. Meyer. Oh, oh. Shit. Dr. Meyer back in 1997 said, uh, maybe, maybe you should rethink what, what you want to do. <laughs> and we turned out to be friends. I was going to so. say you, and you said, you just made an enemy for life. <laughs> and uh, so. look at, look at us. And now we're, you know, you guys are on the premier geology podcast. So, I mean, that's on, true. You know, right. Harry Hess figures out, you know, basically play tectonics and you guys, you know, just uh, trailblazers in the podcast field. You know, it's just yeah, <laughs> 80, 80 slash 60 years from now, people will be talking yeah, about 80, us. Yeah, yeah, close yeah. second. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, Harry. Eventually, Harry gets his act together. And I assume at some point he did pass mineralogy. So. 
good for good for Harry. We congratulate you. All right. Uh, so let's see. Then Harry has to, uh, he gets, gets all his degrees in line and then uh, he teaches for a year at Rutgers, which is Jesse's second connection to Harry Hess because Jesse went to Rutgers as well. He did, Harry taught there, but Jesse went to Rutgers. So, but yeah, Harry, I, Harry was there a couple of years before you, 1932 to 1932. Basically taught me. There, there yeah. you go. I mean, yeah. um, you're practically standing on the shoulders of Harry Hess. Yeah. There's, there's a lineage. I can lie. Some of those buildings at Rutgers were pretty old. <laughs> you probably taught in them. Sure. <laughs> they haven't been updated since he was there. <laughs> 1930s. Now those buildings I, are Harry Hess was there almost 90 years ago. So is my math correct there? That is, is that job. is correct. Yeah. 89 years ago. Yes. Thank you. Right. You've, you've come a long way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> all right. So Harry Harry hung out in New Brunswick, New Jersey at Rutgers for for a year. And then he went on to be a research associate at the Geophysical Laboratory of Washington, D.C. And Which then, I've never heard of. I never heard of that either. But um, I, don't, I don't know. It sounds anyway. boss. Yeah. Hey, you he, know, it's I feel like laboratory. there's these there's the old timey. There was all these old timey like labs and things where you could just get a job being an academic, just like do research. Oh. Wouldn't that be great? Think about that like, life. Yeah. Wear your tweed jacket. You just board the... science. Yeah. The geophysical lab is it's part of the Carnegie Institute today. Oh, okay. So. Okay. Well, that is still around today. Yeah. Um, then he right. switched to some some other Jersey school. Yeah, he really had a thing for Jersey, didn't he? I guess he grew up in Jersey. I guess you ever hear of a, a university called Princeton? Did I pronounce that correct? Yeah, Greenstone, a little small little public school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the in the in the British sense of public school, <laughs> in that it's a fancy private school. So Harry has sense of, of teaching at Princeton in 1934, and that's where he stays for the rest of his career. So, yeah, why? Uh, we all know someone who went to Princeton, who probably. No, I guess he would have no. graduated in the mid seventies, so he probably didn't know Harry, uh, uh, Doctor Grandstaff. Yeah, I was going to say if he graduated in the seventies, and Harry had passed away at that point. Yeah, he gra- uh, yeah, he graduated seventy two. So he might have. There might have been a small. Might have yeah. crossed paths. Yeah. Because if so, he was there for anyway. if he was there for like seven years. Have, so hey, uh, yeah, I, lots no. of people go to undergrad. Oh wait, that was his postdoc or whatever. No, you got his PhD at Princeton, right? Anyways, yes, PhD, yes, yeah. I feel like he did it very quickly. Yeah, I think he did he, it in four he years didn't, or something. He didn't take the Jesse route. Uh, Steve Peterson, undergraduate school of <laughs> decade and a half. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they overlapped, but that's another. Yeah, another I'm going to ask. I'm going to send him an email. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, stayed in Jersey. Couldn't couldn't leave. Maybe he just didn't have a dollar for the toll. The toll uh, is way more than a dollar now. 
No, nah, I'm get sure over, it was. Uh, get it over to New York City. Used to be. Uh, it's like twenty bucks. The Verrazano Bridge is like it's crazy. I'm I thinking think. in 1969. I think it was probably a quarter, but uh, or at least it was to get into PA. Back, way back in my day, it used to have a toll in both directions. Ooh. I don't know if you fellows remember that. No, now, no. It's just, now it's just a toll to leave New Jersey. You can get into Jersey for free. You have to pay to leave. <laughs> so sorry for all you Jersey listeners. Um, I, it's a little tongue in cheek. This has got me. I'm looking up the toll for the Verrazano Bridge. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, I've never crossed it. I'm yeah. like, really? It's that much money? Yeah, I, it's like 12 bucks, right? Or 15 bucks, something like that. It's something crazy. Which would yeah. be like um, the inflation calculator. It's like a dollar or a dollar fifty in 1965. It's, the George Washington Bridge is 16 bucks in cash. Ooh, no Ooh. thanks. I'll yeah, just take I-95. a boat. <laughs> right off the Bronx Expressway. Right? Just going to take a boat. Uh, all right. So back to Continental Drift. Yeah, yeah, I felt like we should uh, just kind of recap this continental drift idea real fast before we move on with, with uh, the good friend of the show, Harry, Harry Hammond Hess. Um, all right, so uh, continental drift. There's this, uh, you know, we talked about Alfred Wegner last week in episode 90. It's episode 91, by the way. We're really getting up there in episodes. Um, yeah, this is our one-year anniversary from when we remember to hit record again. The reboot, yeah, one year since yeah. the reboot. Ooh. No, no, no. We we recorded for six years. We just forgot. Just only, the, only the Patreons have forgot access to, to those post episodes. it or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the the idea of uh, continental drift was already around, and, and people were familiar with it. And you know, there was uh, it was almost like back in this back in the uh, you know the the earlier the first half of the 1900s i guess you could say there's almost like a stigma with like the continental drift thing and there were we'll talk about it in a little bit there are people out there like yeah it, it sounds legit but i just wish that there was like more evidence you know and it wasn't all just like you know like burn wagner at the stake or you know there there were people out there that, <laughs> that were you know like it, it's okay you know just we just need a little more a little more proof right but um but the idea of the continents drifting around had had been around since back to like the 16th century, right? The, um, you know, we talked about the European cartographers being like some of the first people to be like, oh, it looks like the the continents kind of fit together. Oh well, on to the next thing, and um, you know, and then Wegner, um, you know, coming up with you know suggesting continental drift in the 1920s, and uh, you know, so. All right, so there's that whole idea in, in the past. Okay, so now ha- Harry Hess. Now back, or I should say, back to Harry Hess. All right. So now we're in the 1940s, the early 1940s, specifically December 7th, 1941, the day that will live in infamy. Right. Oof, Pearl, Har- yeah. Pearl Harbor was bombed, and the United States enters World War II. All right. So Harry Hess, um, he's is in the Navy now at this point. Right. So he kind of puts the, the teaching thing on hold at Princeton for a bit. And uh, now he is, he's in the Navy and uh, over during his career in the Navy, he reaches the rank of rear admiral. So that's uh it's pretty high up there oh. in the ranks. Yeah. yeah. Admiral. Hef, yeah. Rear admiral. How Hef. do you, how do you go from geology professor at Yale to rear admiral? Well, I assume that, you know, he, he had a, 
he had a PhD was, degree, and so he yeah. went. He was able. to yeah. qualify for God, no. That's awesome. That's what I'm saying. I'm. I'm just. It was, it was I'm a impressed. war too. Yeah, there was a there was, there was a war. Just. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, Rear Admiral is like two steps below. You know, there's Rear Admiral and then Vice Admiral and Admiral. Yeah. Like, that's that's no joke. No, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about military ranks. They're very confusing to me because I feel like there's stars involved. If there's a whole, it's a whole system that I just, no matter how much I, I look into it, I just don't get it. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> it is. And I was always told, like, if you can identify, especially if you get pulled over, like, what a sergeant's thing on their shoulders look like. And if you get pulled over and you say, Oh, it's the same. Yes. Officer say yes. Sergeant. Like they get all excited Ooh. or not excited, but like understand like, okay, you understand what rank means and you, you can appreciate that. And then well, therefore you may get out of a ticket or something. Now like I'm going to look so. into police ranks. Yeah. I'm looking <laughs> yeah, it up exactly. now. What's uh, so. how many stripes of the sergeant? <laughs> but i I haven't been pulled over since i was i think like 20 uh, no i i got pulled over like four years ago because i was working in jersey and my wife called while i was driving and i answered because i was Mm. worried yep and you know the the cop was very nice gave me a ticket but he said like you know and, and you know i don't know what you know what are the rules in pennsylvania you know for driving while i use your phone i said I, I don't know, officer. I haven't been pulled over in over a decade. Like, <laughs> I never used my phone. My wife called. I thought it was an emergency. He's like, oh, okay. Here's your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> you should, thanks, Sergeant. Yeah. Or thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, who, I, who just the, who just, just put this in the show? Oh, that was me. Are you trying I mean, to put... buy patches off Amazon? Yeah, you, you, I mean, should we just it. sew them on our clothes? <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to pull rank when you get pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, for those listening, uh, Chris just posted a Amazon link to buy uh, Chevron patches for a sergeant. Stolen uh, police valor. Yeah. I, I'm, I, and now that I clicked on it, I feel like I'm going to be on some sort of police impersonation list <laughs> yes. or something. You asked the, the the officer pulling you over to salute you. <laughs> See how that goes. I'm a sergeant. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So, yeah. All right. So uh, Harry Admiral, has. So he was up yeah. there. I, yeah. yeah. In the North Atlantic. Figured out a successful technique for estimating locations of German U-boats. Yeah. Pretty helpful for the Americans. Not so helpful so for the Germans. So he's looking underwater. This, hmm. There's a trend here. Mm. Kind of see where it starts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so he does that, and it was it was the, did a really successful job of of estimating the location of these these German U-boats. All right. Then Harry Hess gets transferred to the Pacific Theater, and he was commander of a transport ship. This transport ship was the USS Cape Johnson, and. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was in some, some pretty, some pretty big battles. Um, you know, trans- transporting soldiers in some pretty big, uh, 
big battles. Uh, he was in the, the Marianas. Uh, Leite, is that how you pronounce that? And uh, got me. Uh, you you would know. Lingualan, you would know better. Lingualan and uh, Iwo Jima. We all know that one. That's that was a that was a really bloody battle. So he was in there. Um, fun fact about the USS Johnson, uh, Cape Johnson, I should say, it was originally, and I didn't know that, that they could do this. Uh, it was originally a privately owned vessel that was acquired by the U.S. Navy Bearboat Charter. And it was commissioned on June 1st, 1944, and then uh, later decommissioned on July 25th, 1946, and returned to the owner the next day. So basically the Navy was like, you know, hey, we'll take that boat. Thank you. Or excuse me, boat, Ooh, ship. We'll take that ship. You know, they, yeah. they, they made a deal with the with the government. So they took it. And then when they're done, they said, okay, here you go. They returned the ship. And unfortunately, the ship is no longer around. It was sold for scrap on June 10th, 1963. All right. So this is a pretty important ship in the terms of, of geology because a lot of really cool scientific research was, uh, was done on the ship. Oh, by the way, one more fun fact about this. I kind of went a little overboard researching this ship. <laughs> so it was originally a cargo ship, but it was converted into a transport ship capable of carrying 1,575 troops. All right. So this, this ship is, is really important in the history of geology and also just for straight up earth science. So Harry Hess was interested in the geology of the ocean floor. This was his jam. All right. And they had this new technology on the ship, uh, these echo sounding devices, a.k.a. sonar. Right. This is this is new for for World War Two. Right. And so what he would do is he loved just kind of um, he loved as the ship was traveling, he loved just leaving it on and just uh, note and, and recording what the bottom of the ocean floor looked like. All right. And. While he started doing that, just leaving it on day and night all the time while the ship was traveling around, he discovered a new geological feature. And uh, these things he discovered, he called geos. All right. And they, what they were, these, these flat topped underwater volcanoes. And now we know, we figured out, you know, since how these, how these things form, but um, they were. They were, you know, and it all it all links up with plate tectonics because well, maybe I, I have I have the explanation of how these things form later on. So we'll get into actually I'll explain how they form later on in the podcast because you need to know about plate tectonics first, and then you can figure out how these how these geos form. But kind of think of it as like these like these like underwater plateaus or like these like decapitated volcanoes. It's like somebody came with a buzzsaw and just boom you know, sawed off the top of your, you know, the volcano, say it's like conical in shape and they just boom, sawed it off. And it's, it's like a, it's more like a plateau type feature. Right. And, uh, Harry has sounded sound like a pretty much like a, like a stand-up guy. He called, he, he saw these features and he called them geos after the founder of the Princeton geology department, Arnold Geo. So, um, back in 19, or I'm sorry, back in 1854, Arnold Gio was hired and he was the only geologist and geographer instructor instructor or geology and geology geography instructor at Princeton when he started in 1855. And he was the only one until 1973, eventually when he hired 18, 1873. Jeez, my numbers are off today. I'm sorry. 1873. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
<laughs> he taught for 120 years. Just a skeleton in a chair. <laughs> he was he was the only geologist there until 1873 when he hired Harry or Henry Cornwell, and Henry Cornwell taught mineralogy. So fun little fact about Princeton right there. Um, all right, so back to Harry. He's floating around on the ship. And he's basically collecting thousands of miles of depth soundings of the ocean floor. And this would later be really important when we get to the theory of plate tectonics. All right. So World War II ends. Everyone goes back home. All right. Um, but as devastating as World War II was, there were some, some really good things came out of World War II, like technology. And um, this technology eventually trickled down into, uh, you know, into civilian life. Um, and, and scientists end up getting a hold of this technology. And now they're, they have new, new toys and new tools to do their scientific research. So also, the, uh, after World War II ends, the United States creates what's known as the U.S. Office of Naval Research. So the mission of the U.S. Office of Naval Research is to plan, foster, and encourage scientific research to maintain future naval power and preserve national security. So basically any type of scientific research that applies to the Navy, right? Yeah, we can talk to our good friend of the podcast, Kelly Blake, about this. Pretty sure that's what funds her job. Mm -hmm. Oh, U.S. Naval. I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you want to? Uh, Kelly was on episode, I don't know, like four episodes Hang ago. On. Or so. uh, Steve's got it. it <laughs> Steve's like one of those guys <laughs> during the uh, the baseball games that checks the stats. You know, like <laughs> episode episode eighty seven on. Uh, we recorded it on March twenty fifth. All right, geothermal ener energy um, and the, women in geology. Women in geology. That was the that was the one that the public has. The geothermal energy is the Patreon yes. special. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I was right. Four episodes ago. Okay. So there's the uh, U.S. Office of uh, Naval Research. So there was a need to map out the ocean floor. All right. Then the, the Navy realized this. So like, for example, one of the stories that I had heard, um, well, we know that submarine warfare really explodes in World War II. And um, yeah, the Navy was aware of the mid-ocean ridges, they knew that, that these features were there, but they needed to know more information about these mid-ocean ridges because they're great places to hide submarines and, and maneuver around for, you know, in terms of submarine warfare. So it's like, yeah, so that they want to collect the scientific information for, for, you know, for defense purposes, if you would. Just a little time out. Do you know when the first submarine warfare took place in the United States? Civil War, right? <laughs> I, I do. Civil War. Uh, Revolutionary War with oh that's true yeah there was the one turtle like, yeah his yeah name the was, turtle um, oh it's gonna drive me I remember doing like an AP history project on there was a the turtle I was thinking the Hunley was the oh one yeah of the Civil War but it was, yeah what, what was that guy's turtle submersible yeah it was crazy uh, Bushnell that's it that yeah yeah but yeah the Hunley was was a good end yep. Uh, sorry, carry on. It was just a little sidebar. There was something too with the. This is totally off topic. 
uh, that the U.S. government during the during the Revolutionary War was given like incentives for people to like develop like weapons and stuff like that. And I think that's isn't that where the submarine like people were messing around with submarines, the concept of submarines. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I, it, but it, essentially, it was just like oh, a it was civil. a sphere that had pedals and it had like a stick with just dynamite on the end of it yeah and it was supposed to go up to the yeah, ship and poke. yeah i think it was it, it was like a little like screw like, like yeah you're, you're supposed to screw it in yeah. that was it yeah and i guess yeah. it wasn't if if you're a stickler for things it wasn't technically dynamite because dynamite wasn't invented right yet. some sort of explosive explosive yeah. all right here we go our patreon friend maddie has an article here saying yeah revolutionary war Whoa, look at that sphere. <laughs> that is a yeah. It's got... Look at that thing. <laughs> it's basically, yeah, just got some pedals and yeah, it's it, it looks solidly constructed. Turtle, yeah. yeah. Huh. I don't know oh. if that's a reproduction or what, but uh the uh yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the offer Clive Kostler, and he does a lot of naval history stuff. So uh. it's fiction, but yeah. Anywho, all right. Back to World War II and plowing through science. Science. Um, so particularly important to our story that we're telling in terms of Harry Hess and, and all of his cronies are the uh is the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. All right. So the Mid-Atlantic Ridge is this underwater ridge that runs in a north-south orientation. And it's located smack dab center in the Atlantic Ocean. Well, they so, named it really lucky with the name. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I guess. <laughs> I mean, it'd be kind of disappointing if it was like offset to the west a bit, like the almost yeah. mid-Atlantic yeah. ridge, like the semi-mid-Atlantic yeah. ridge. But no. The offset to the wet. West Atlantic Ridge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so this thing's huge. And it, uh, you know, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge eventually curves around the entire globe as part of this continuous chain. It's approximately 80,000 kilometers long, this, under, this underwater ridge line, right? So now let's fast forward. We're, you know, five years after World War II ends. Or well, actually, no, we're more than that because it's the late 1950s. Um, there's a group at Lamont Doherty Observatory, which is uh, at Columbia University, and we talked about these these people before in a previous podcast, where specifically the women in geology episode, uh, Marie Tharp and Bruce Bruce Heason, right? We did talk about them for that episode, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they're they're in um uh, they're at Columbia, and Marie Tharp. You know, we talked about how you know how much of a powerhouse she was as a as a, as a female in geology. But we're just kind of, in case you didn't listen to that episode uh, four episodes ago, kind of just do a quick little quick little overview on that. Um, she discovered this V-shaped structure going right down the center of the Mid Atlantic Ridge. Right. So how how she, she figured this out, uh, Marie Tharp pieced together. Ultimately, she had six profiles of depth soundings. From the east to the west, all the way, it stretched all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, the North Atlantic Ocean, as to say, uh, in an east-west direction. So this was like super tedious, and it was just like, oh my goodness, just the fact that she could piece this together. And she did six of these profiles, which was 
a ton of work, right? So Jesse, weren't you saying there was some stories that she just had papers like, like all, wasn't there something we're talking about? Like she just had papers all over her office and just trying to piece all this stuff together. We didn't talk about that. Well, yeah. I mean, and she did it all by hand. Like that's the other thing too. You're not stitching stuff on computers. You know, it's just like you're taping, taping stuff together. And yeah. 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 She's yeah. Taking the data and converting it and depth soundings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Pretty so, incredible. Um, so she notices V structure and uh, in the middle of the uh, Mid Atlantic Ridge, and she proposed that this was a rift valley and that the ocean was pulling apart. All right. And this this V shaped structure became known as the Great Global Rift. Right? Now her uh, her boss Bruce Heason was her boss, right? Is that the relationship between the two of them? I don't. I, uh, anyway, he's at he's in was also at uh, Lamont Doherty, and uh, this dude was anti continental drift. So she was kind of like, well, well, I should say we could leave it. He's in was anti continental drift, and he was he's in was a proponent of the expanding Earth hypothesis, right? And, oh, uh, yeah. So what's the what's the deal with the expanding Earth hypothesis? You guys, the, any the 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 Earth's sort of like a balloon that's inflating, and that's why the continents are moving away from each other. Oh, well, I, it's not right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a terrible idea, and it doesn't take much to realize it's a terrible idea. So it's terrible for thinking it. But I, that's, I don't know if that's exactly how it works, but it doesn't matter because it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. So he's he in should feel, he should feel bad. Well, he should. He was an idiot. Don't worry. Well, nah, we'll... not an idiot, but he was well, uh, blind, no. blind to the uh, data that was in front of him. Yeah, and it's it's all right to badmouth him for what comes next. Yeah, this is not a this is not a pretty story for the next uh, the next several minutes. Here. <laughs> this is not a redemption arc for for Heason. No. 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 So, but before he was we not get into on that, the right side but... of history, let's let's leave it. Yeah. In. No, but. Before we get into Heathen, uh, let us talk about our outline and how it is formatted. Yeah. Is there a formula for this? Mar- Marie, Marie Tharp had to do everything by hand. Yes. It probably would have been much easier if she could put it all in a document. Oh, my gosh. Like a, a formatting formula formatted document? Yes, I agree. Uh, formatting formula is a proud sponsor of the geology flannel cast formatting formula or www.formattingformula.com. They actually, uh, redid their website recently. Uh, it looks pretty nice. Um, believe it or not, they actually asked the geology flannel cast to give some feedback on their, um, website, which, you know, I did kindly. Um, it was it was really great. Just gave a little few tweaks. Um, but uh, at formattingformula.com, they're there for all of your word formatting document needs, anywhere from just helping you with headers, footers, uh, table of contents, things like that, all the way up to like huge regulatory uh, 
requirements, making sure that all stuff is formatted exactly the way you need to submit it for any sort of regulatory submissions, um, theses or master's theses, uh, dissertations, anything like that, embedded figures, all that stuff. Uh, YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. If you go there, you can actually teach yourself how to do these things. They have all kinds of videos, uh, not just for the latest versions of word but also for older versions as well and um for those of you who do pc they have them and they also have some mac videos too um lots of mac videos so pc or mac um check them out formattingformula.com but more importantly make sure you tell them geology flannelcast in you because that's what keeps our lights on literally formatting formula that pays Chris's electric bill. So yeah, keep it going. <laughs> Maybe this summer I'll turn my air conditioning on. Who knows? You know, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Don't get greedy. Uh, <laughs> we're going to need a, a lot more people visiting formatting formula. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All right. So if, thank you, Steve. Uh, before, uh, before that, we were talking about how uh, Bruce Bruce Heason was uh, was not on the right side of history. All right, all right. So where's that? Okay, I'm more of an expanding Earth kind of guy, and he dismissed Tharp, Marie Tharp, saying that her explanation was girl talk. All right, Whew, this guy, this guy, where wait, what's up with this guy? Um. So and this, and this- anytime you dismiss somebody as whatever and and you you don't back it up with any sort of evidence or facts or science y- you then become the idiot so let's just put it let's just put it out there this guy was not yeah he didn't have to say that no no he just said i don't agree with your ideas and that's that but anyways um okay so bruce he's in Later on, working on a, a different project, hires a guy named Howard Foster, and uh, Foster's job was to plot earthquake epicenters in the ocean uh, for a study trying to relate them to turbidity currents. So hmm. not really too important for the, for the podcast today. We actually did a whole episode on turbidity currents, correct, Steve? Like number four or five? Like uh, we really did. early on, I want to say. We did. While Steve's looking that up, uh, carry on. Turbidity currents are basically uh, underwater avalanches from just sediment kind of piling up, or basically sediment just kind of piling up over thousands of years. And just like you see, like an avalanche on a mountain, and the snow piles up so much it becomes unstable, then whoosh, the whole thing, uh, you know, slides down the mountain. Uh, You see that with these uh, turbidity currents along. uh, along the continental slope and uh, kind of coming to rest along the continental rise there. So um, they were looking to see if there were, you know, seismic signatures of, of these uh, turbidity currents. Just kind of episode 24, actually. Oh, it was a little, a little yeah. later than that. How about that? Yeah, it was on my birthday uh, of 2015. Wow. So six Happy... years ago in May. <laughs> so that was like your, what birthday was that? Like your 75th birthday? 
I think I turned 21 that year. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna, how, yeah. How like many times did you turn 21? 75. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2015, I would have been what? Uh, 37? 37? 38? Uh, something like that. Something like that. All right. So uh, I'm 42 now. Do the math. <laughs> All right, so this guy Howard Foster is looking for earthquake, um, looking at earthquake data in the in the Atlantic Ocean, and when they start plotting out the epicenters for the earthquakes, it lines right up with uh, Marie Tharp's Mid Atlantic Ridge. Hello, something's moving around on this ridge. All right, <laughs> you're getting all these earthquakes. You know something has to be moving. So then he's and was like, all right, maybe I'll buy into this continental drift concept. Maybe you guys are onto something with this, right? So then uh, Tharp and he's published the physiographic map of the North Atlantic in 1953. And then it's just, it uh, gets kind of sad at that point. Um, you know, uh, Marie Tharp really got shafted by, by he's um, he didn't include Marie in any of the scientific papers that he, that he published about this topic between 1959 and 1963. So officially the geology flannel cast would like to recognize Bruce Heason as a giant jerk. And uh, he is the inaugural <laughs> member of the geology flannel cast wall of shame. So shame on you, Bruce Heason. <laughs> First, but not the last. No, no. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, so Marie Tharp doesn't let her get this down. And she finds that her rift valley extends all over the globe. Whoa. So the plot thickens, gentlemen. Okay. Back it gets half. thinner and spreads out. Ooh. <laughs> okay. But if Come our on. plot thins, then it's no one's going to listen to us. I understand. I was trying to put it back to oh. C4 spreading. Carry yeah. on. I, I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> if you did, he would have laughed. <laughs> He's got you there. Uh, last time I laughed at one of Steve's jokes. <laughs> I mean, yes. The Atlantic <laughs> yeah. wasn't even an ocean. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, That's probably the dorkiest bust ever. No. All right. Come on. I have lots of dorkier jokes than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, back to back to Harry Hess now. All right. So when Harry Hess learns of Marie Tharp's findings, along with Bruce Heason, right? Um, we're gonna call it Tharp. We're gonna put Tharp's name first. Uh when he learned of Tharp's findings with uh Heason, all of a sudden now. He starts to understand his Pacific Ocean data from World War II. It's like Eureka, boom, the light like turns on. And uh, he's like, holy crap, this all makes sense now. I just needed, I needed, uh, you know, needed some help from, from some other people. Right. Yeah. He just needed a strong, scientifically minded woman. Yeah. Bam. So in 1960, Harry Hess publishes his seafloor spreading idea in a report to the Office of Naval Research. All right. And it gets circulated around a lot and it kind of, you know, it's kind of a kind of a big thing. And then later in 1962, he published 
um, he published a, a, a journal article called History of Ocean Basins. This is like, this is it for plate tectonics, all right? This was like the plate tectonic piece of work, all right? Um, so what he does is he addresses in this uh, history of ocean basins, he addresses some really big issues. So number one, before this time, it was assumed that the oceans were 4 billion years old, right? They thought the oceans were as old as the earth, and, right? Because they didn't think the continents were, were moving around, right? Mm -hmm. So Harry Hess says, all right, guys, listen, if the oceans are 4 billion years old, why is there so little sediment on the ocean floor? Wouldn't you think that if the ocean floor was collecting sediment for 4 billion years, that there'd be a crap ton of sediment all over the place. And these sediment packages would be super, super thick, but they're not. All right. I'm no sediment expert, but that's true. I am a sediment expert, actually. <laughs> Just going to say, uh, wait, what? Don't sell yourself uh, short, Jesse. Come on. <laughs> hit playing coy over here. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I want to do some, what is the average? What is it like? One meter every million years? Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. Like a, uh, something like that. I was going to say a, a millimeter every ten thousand years, which wouldn't. Yes. Which would be a meter every. Yeah. Right. No. Not I'm every. Not doing math. Years. I'm not doing math right now. It's been a rough day. <laughs> yeah. Someone else can do the math right now, but uh, it uh, sediment does collect very slowly at the ocean floor. But if you give it four billion years, well, that's yeah. I'm, I was just gonna. I was gonna run the numbers real quick. So if it's a meter. You know, how old is the Earth? Four and a half billion years. Yeah. Doing some doing some quick math here. So meter times a hundred times a hundred times four, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was. What did I say? One meter every million years. Million? Yeah, one million. A meter every million years. Yeah. So, um. <clears throat> anyway. I closed my calculator and now I have to open it again. All right. So while Jesse's going, I'm actually, I'm actually interested to see what this number would be. So I'm going to stall for him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so anyways, uh, you know, sediment collects very slowly at the bottom of the ocean floor. Um, really the, the stuff that makes up your sediment at the bottom. Well, what is he doing now? He's <laughs> Are you doing this on paper? I can. I, I, yeah. I, that's so I do my best mouth on paper. It would be. Right. Yeah, it's a kilometer every million. No, you said a no. meter every yeah, and I was wrong. Million years, yeah, because I mean, just oh, off it's the a Jersey, kilometer every million years. Yeah, just oh, off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we we we'd be touching the moon. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy town. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we we went off on a tangent there. Chris is making notes, so this will all be edited out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right, so whatever. There should be there should be a ton of sediment at the bottom of the ocean floor, and there's really not. Okay, <laughs> let's let's leave it. Yeah, it's a, what's his name? It's a, where is everybody? Yeah. yeah, just like where is all the sediment? So, okay, and uh, the other thing that Harry has addresses is um, why are the oldest fossils in modern ocean sediment 
only a hundred million, 180 million years old. All right. Um, so I say that like modern ocean sediment, I know modern is not 180 million years old, but I, what, I guess what I meant to say there is in like the, the, the modern oceans, right. That we have, um, not, I'm not talking like ancient oceans or like the, you know, we talked about, anyways, I'm just digging myself into a hole right now. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff that's still underwater. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So basically the, all the, uh, yeah, there, those fossils are 180 million years old. All right, so you know he he addresses that point, and then he also says, "And what makes the continents move?" And this comes back to, <laughs> oh my goodness, right back to Alfred Wegener, right? So that's what they got him on. What's making the continents move, Alfred? It's the mechanism. What's your mechanism? You know, come on, come on. Extraordinary claims call for extraordinary evidence," said Carl Sagan. Uh, <laughs> all right. So additionally, though, Harry Hess states how the seafloor spreading works. And this is this is it now. This is like the cat's meow. All right. So he hypothesized that the oceans are like 300 million years old at like the most. All right. Magma comes up to the seafloor from inside the earth creates new seafloor that spreads away from the mid-ocean ridge. Eventually, that seafloor sinks back into the earth at oceanic trenches, a.k.a. subduction zones. Okay, not to take away from from Harry Hess, but Arthur Holmes in 1928 proposed that the flow of hot material within the mantle was responsible for propelling the continents across the globe. 1928. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing thing about Hess is Hess is standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. Hess Hess is basically taking all the stuff, explaining it well and getting all the credit. But he put the pieces together. So I don't know. We could have have this debate. No, no, he did. That's why the title of the show is a guy at the right place at the right time. What is exactly? No, he did put all this together. He did articulate it well. Like there, there's been lots of scientists who have done the great research, have figured out the great problems, and just are terrible writers, and therefore they don't get credit. Yeah, well, Jesse, what were you showing? You got some numbers there. You like to share? Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's in the Atlantic Ocean. It, it's on average two centimeters every thousand years. Okay. And so that's a kilometer per million years or two kilometers per million years. So essentially if it's 4 billion years, it'd be 80 kilometers of sediment, which is (laughs) the average thickness of the ocean crust is, you know, at max 10 kilometers. So it's eight times as thick as the ocean crust. It's thicker than continental crust. Yeah, so we, you know, it'd be that is, that's sticky as out of the ocean. Cr- yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, continental crust can get thicker than that, but uh, well, on, well uh, yeah. If the a- the average, yeah, 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 is much lower than that. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of sediment, though. That's that's yeah. Whew. All right. So I'm happy that we we figured that one out. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, it's hard enough to do math on the fly. Just try to do math in front of a global podcast audience. All right. <laughs> ah, Tony. You, got, you got that spotlight on you. Whew. 
you know, we put Jesse on the spot there. I'm sorry about that. Um, we're having fun here. It's it's all for fun. All right. Um, all right. So where's it? Uh, okay. So, okay. Harry Hess brings that whole mechanism, um, uh, kind of, like you said, building on the idea of Arthur Holmes and, and, and everyone else, right? You said there's the famous quote, we know so much today because we're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? So this mechanism that uh, Harry Hess introduces explains why the oldest ocean crust is only 180 million years old. Now, back to Alfred Wegener, all right? Or Wegener, if you want to pronounce the name correctly. Hess versus Wegener. Wegener couldn't produce a mechanism for why the continents would move, all right? He said the continents are, flat, are plowing through the oceanic crust or the centripetal force or gravitational force from, was it the gravitational force from the moon? Is that what it was? One of his uh, explanations that didn't work out? That, that was, and it was proven wrong pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I believe says. he's off by like, yeah, an order of like 10 to the 6th or 10 to the 7th. Um, uh, but, but, yeah, basically they said, like if it was the tides, the earth would stop spinning That's tomorrow. Right. Yeah, 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 there <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but here's the deal. Hess got the mechanism, boom. That's uh and that's it. That's that's uh super important. So, you know, Harry Hess was familiar with Alfred Wegner's ideas, and uh and he actually did subscribe to Alfred Wegner or Wegner's ideas, used to say he just kind of won up and Wegner, interestingly right? enough, Wegner. Uh, in Greenland, shouted again, and then died. <laughs> Oof, too soon. Too soon. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So, in my opinion, <laughs> I'm just you almost that. laughed I'm, at that I'm one. Gonna, I'm going to just ignore <laughs> that comment there. Um, but you know what? I, I think Alfred Wegener had some really great ideas and obviously we're Monday morning quarterbacking here looking at this, you know, a hundred plus years later. Um, or actually no, just a hundred years later. Um, you know, Alfred Wegener, in all honesty, he would, the only thing withholding him or holding him back was where technology was in the, you know, in the early 1900s up to the 1920s. And, uh, you know, Harry Hess just, uh, you know, and not only him, but all his contemporaries, too, also just had more technology. And to figure out something like plate tectonics, you just need it. It's, it's a complicated, it's a very complicated topic. And you, you need some technology. You need some fancy scientific toys to start to figure this stuff out. All right. And unfortunately, Wegener just never, never had this stuff. Um, so I would like to think that if Wegener was around, uh, you know, post World War II, maybe he would have figured the stuff out. You know, maybe they would have helped him out. But um, anyway, so these things happen, and uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so not only uh, not only did Harry Hess explain how the continents were moving around, but he also figured out what forms the geos, right? Remember these decapitated volcanoes we talked about? I promise you guys I was going to come back to this, all right? I am really excited for this. Yeah, right? Oh, man. What makes these flattened volcanoes? This is pretty wild. All right. The volcanoes go up, right? I hope it's a buzzsaw. I hope it's Wegner with a buzzsaw. Uh, a hor <laughs> horizontal buzzsaw. Actually, it did. Yeah, it kind of is a buzzsaw. The volcanoes go up, right? 
when they stop going up, they get eroded down to the wave base, right? Waves, the waves are crashing into the volcanoes and eventually erode these things down, right? But the plate, the tectonic plate that the volcanoes are on are moving, right? Just imagine these volcanoes are over things like hotspots or something like that. Um, the plate moves away from the hotspot and then as it moves away from the hotspot. So when it's above the, over the hotspot or uh, that, that rock's really hot, obviously it's a hotspot. And when things, <laughs> when things get hot, they expand. Another, right? another thing that's named very appropriately. Yeah. A hotspot. Right? <laughs> uh, so when the, the plate moves away from this, it starts to cool down. And as it cools down, it starts to subside. It starts to, I don't want to say, I don't think subsides the best word to use, but it starts to sink down because it cools. So it's not all expanded out. Like if it would be if it was hot. And so you're now your, your kind of your flattened volcano was flattened down to wave base moves away from, moves away from the hotspot and then kind of sinks down, cools down and it sinks down even further. Hence the formation of a geo that live up to your explanation, gentlemen? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yes. <laughs> I was just, just hoping uh, that you would awkward and, silence and just demand more. <laughs> no, no. And we can, we can post the images on our website because the images really do yeah. demonstrate like, like how cool, like the 3D LiDAR, I guess LiDAR or sonar, sonar. images of like, yeah. here's a, you know, here's a volcano with its top cut off. Here's another volcano with its top cut off. Here's another yeah. volcano with its top cut off. Like it is, it's it's like it, hard to see it as anything else. Yeah, though. it is pretty cool. I mean, y- you can see it on the surface with m- more prominently with the tolls, where you have the reef still at the surface <clears throat> because the reef is sort of self perpetuating, right? But the rest of the volcano has eroded down below the sea surface. I'm not saying atolls are better. Uh, oh, I think I think Jesse's. I really just took, there. Sorry, I took the. No, these uh, these are actually really cool. That that picture you sent us before we went on was it lidar? Or I don't know what they use. No, it's sonar to make damage. It's sonar. yeah. I mean, it's underwater, but oh it's, yeah, it's LIDAR pretty, would it looks pretty sense. high resolution though. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, and they're just so flat. How they get so flat? Wave base. That's like uh, the waves, man. You can't explain that. Wave base. There's I'm no explaining it's... to you right now. Wave base. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's it's like a it's like a kid and play movie from the eighties. It is. 90s. It is a flat top. <laughs> high and tight. High and tight. No, it's not high and tight. It's flat. It's a flat top. I tried it when I went to the barber this morning. I was like, can you give me a flat top? And he's like, sir, you're losing your hair too rapidly for that. <laughs> Jeez. I will give you Not the cool, generic man. geriatric Not haircut. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so other thing that Harry Hess does, he also explains why continents don't subduct. Because they're just too buoyant. Oceanic crust is a little bit more dense than continental crust. Uh, continental crust very rarely, if no, it just doesn't. It doesn't subduct, right? It subducts on the fifth of never, um, generally speaking. Uh, let's see. So 
you know, but Harry Hess comes out with this in 62 is when it, the, it was publicly released, his, uh, his article, his paper. And uh, but still, there's still criticism. You know, he still received criticism, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just how science works, you know. And if people criticize your ideas, that means that they're interested. All right. And they're just they just want to make sure that you're scientifically accurate. All right. You're just not putting these bogus claims out, you know, thrown out there into the ether. And so, okay, so you get criticized and guess what? If you want to go into science, you got to get used to getting criticized because it's just going to happen. People are going to criticize your work. And, you know, if you do good work, then, you know, stand, stand by your work and it'll eventually, you know, eventually work out. All right. But Harry Hess got really lucky because <laughs> the next year, 1963, uh, Vine and Matthews and who do you guys remember? Who the, there was a third guy. They actually ended up at tagging his name onto this. Morley. 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 Okay. Yeah. Morley. Yeah. So these guys end up finding the symmetrical magnetic striping of the seafloor in 1963. And that's what that was like the nail in the coffin. Boom. They confirmed Harry Hess's hypothesis. All right. So what they were doing was uh let's see. So these guys were using a uh, they're doing magnetometer surveys. Vine, let's see. I believe one of them was a between Vine and Matthews. One of them was a PhD student and the other was the PhD advisor. And uh, yeah, it worked out just kind of doing magnetometer surveys. And uh, do we, I feel like we talked about the, the, the Curie point last, last yeah. week. Did we? We did. Yeah. We did talk about that last week. Yes. Yeah. So we talked last week. We talked, I was going to say like, I'm going to give you like guys like the quick 10 second, explanation here but when the ocean crust forms or any lava flows to tell you the truth the magnetic minerals that are in that end up pointing to the direction of north right and what they found found out was that there was this magnetic striping where uh and the magnetic striping was symmetrical across the mid-ocean ridge it was like a mirror image across the mid-ocean ridge uh, they see stripes where basically all the magnetic minerals are pointing north is pointing to the north, and they found stripes where north was pointing to the south. All right, so these guys yeah, so on the magnetic the, reversals. The Curie point is 585 degrees C, which is uh, pretty pretty darn hot. So the Curie point meaning that this stuff had to be molten. When it came to the surface, but then it cooled down and then it froze, essentially locking in where the magnetic north was. Mm -hmm. And then it was also found that the uh, the seafloor gets older as you move away from the mid-ocean ridge. So it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, they're like, all right. All right, Harry Hess, we'll give you yours. You win this round. It's a, yeah. It was essentially growth rings from a tree, yeah. but on the ocean floor. Exactly. That's a great way to, to, to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, and you know, there, I mean, there's a lot of different directions we could still go on from, from here. Um, but you know, the whole thing is just amazing that we see in the 1950s and into the 1960s, these like groundbreaking, like classic papers that come out with like just the, the science, like it was just like 
almost like every year they're finding like something new and groundbreaking in terms of plate tectonics. Like this was like, you know, this was like the sexiest topics of its time, you know, in terms of geology back in the the fifties and sixties, you know, and and I know time to be doing geology. I know I've talked about this before, but like, you know, I was in grade school in the eighties and in the eighties, I had teachers who were taught earth science in the sixties. When I was being taught about plate tectonics, they were uber skeptical about plate tectonics. I had it because when they were, because when they were taught plate tectonics, wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Like, so they're like, oh, this new theory of plate tectonics, and this is what they're saying it does. And like, it was all like with a big question mark at the end, but like, this is what we're supposed to teach you. Not <laughs> sure if this isn't baloney, but so, uh, you know, that was in the 80s slash 90s. So not that long ago. I had an earth science teacher. Uh, I remember my eighth, eighth grade, um, eighth grade, I learned earth science. And uh, I had a teacher that didn't told us, I've, I vividly remember her telling us that we don't know how mountains form yet. And <laughs> she was not a subscriber to play tectonics. And this is 1999. Let me tell you. All right. So I'm just, right. well, I'm, that makes me feel a little better about my uh, Catholic school education in the eighties. Cause uh, they, they were still teaching it as correct, but they were like, you know, I don't know if this is true at all, but I'm just jealous you guys had earth science. I didn't have earth science. I didn't know about any of this until I went. Oh, college. no, it was like a week, <laughs> but it was a good week. That's my whole in eighth grade. The whole the whole year was the science was earth science. That year, uh, Jesse, maybe maybe you're mistaking this class for coal class. We have coal class. We did have a half a year in third grade where we learned all about coal. There you go. Yeah, that that uh, class. Yeah. But yeah, nothing about yeah, no earth, no earth science or anything. I mean, I think there was an earth science class, but yeah, I don't know if I never had it. (laughs) Still waiting to learn those lessons. I'm excited to hear about this. There you have it. There's uh one third of the co-host of the geology (laughs) flannel cast. Never took an earth science class. Um, Tell me uh, more about this. <laughs> I'm really excited. This is really interesting. Yeah. All right. Man, no, so, no, no clue. All right. So fun facts about Hass later. In go that. ahead. Take it, Steve. Uh, became the head of Princeton geology department. It's pretty Good big deal. Him. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, pretty big deal, but pretty well deserved, I would say. Uh, president of the geological society of america in 1963 and received the penrose medal in 1966 which is huge yeah that's the Uh, the award by the geological society of america Um, president he was appointed by president kennedy to be the chairman of the space science board of national academy of sciences holy cow yeah right uh part of a 10-person panel to analyze moon rocks he's one of 10 yeah he was like the the, the top 10 geo people on the planet in order to analyze moon rocks 
Yeah. Right. Uh, back in Apollo 11. Uh, he died a month after Apollo 11 returned to Earth. So I'm guessing he probably didn't even get to see those moon runs. That's a but, real well, bummer. Well, 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 see how he died. Uh, the National Academy of Sciences calls one of the truly remarkable Earth scientists of the century awarded NASA's Distinguished Public Service Award after he died. Look at point number 21. He dies of a heart attack in Woods Hole, uh, which Woods Hole is a oceanographic study institute, Woods Hole, Massachusetts, in 1969, while chairing a meeting of the space board. What if that was the meeting where they got the space rocks? They had like a shoebox of the space rocks. Like, here you go. Space rocks. Like, just. Oh, my God. Here it is. Here it is. They're coming. Uh, that's I, terrible. I'm upset that they it was a 10 person panel for Apollo 11. Come on, make it 11, right? Uh, 11 person panel. Not only that, then you got the deciding vote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But the American Geophysical Union uh, started the Henry H.S. Medal in Research of the constitution and evolution of earth and sister planets in 1985 and my favorite fun fact is harry hess was one of the originators to put forward the idea for project mole hole oh yes i didn't put that on there yeah but i saw that what i i just kind of ran out of time what what Jesse, do you have any information about Project Molehole? So Project Molehole was this, they wanted to drill to the, the Moho, the, man, the cross mantle boundary. And um, basically it, it was, you know, it was way out of its time in terms of uh, deep sea drilling in that they, they sort of reckon that the, the thinnest place you find crossed is in the ocean. And so they developed like dynamic positioning on on um, like a, a ship, uh, a drill rig on a ship. So like, <clears throat> you know, the, these ships now have have really intricate um, propulsion systems, and a lot of them have jacks on them. That when you when you're doing drilling, you, you know, you got to keep the ship steady especially if you're going down five ten thousand feet of water um and they basically developed it uh, to do this in the first phase of this project as like a pilot they wanted to show that they could drill in the deep water so they they outfitted the ship and they they drilled down not not very far like a couple hundred meters if that but it was like super impressive because they brought up these cores and it like revolutionized. It was the whole idea that you had this <clears throat> whole sedimentary history on the sea floor because it's the first time you're bringing up cores from the deep sea. And so they, they basically proved that this was viable and this was like a thing. And it, it set off this whole, we have a whole international deep sea drilling program now that there's three dedicated ships that do this every year, but essentially um, the project sort of fell apart 
after this pilot phase, uh, it was sort of mismanaged and, you know, Congress didn't give them the funding they needed. It was, it was the whole thing. There was a lot of infighting and politics. And so they never made it to the moho still haven't, but it really, it was a revolutionary thing. This idea about drilling in the deep sea and, and the technology that came, came from it is I think something that shouldn't be overlooked. And yeah, you definitely you talked would, about this in the podcast before. Now that we yeah, have, and, and yeah, Je- yeah. Jesse posted a, a picture of it, like this. This is how far the ocean. Like this is the depth of the ocean, and then this is where the moho is, and this is how far we got. And it, it was like <laughs> you know, like the how far they got through the ocean was huge. Yeah. How far they got into the crust was like teeny tiny, and then they had another huge portion before they got to the moho. So. <laughs> Yeah, that, just the fact that they can get it through that much ocean to then start, uh, obviously, for economic reasons, like uh, oil companies have been doing this for a while, but they only go as far as they need to go to get that commodity out. So, good times. Yeah, <laughs> Harry Hess, there you go. There is, uh, well, it wasn't just the story of Harry Hess, there were, there were several several characters involved in this story, but, uh, you know, Harry Hess was kind of the, the main focus of this story. And uh, so there you have it, kind of a, you know, kind of a, a heck of a story on how the theory of plate tectonics came about and um, how it evolved over time. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And think, think about where we'd be if he didn't die at 63. You know what I mean? Who knows how many good ideas he had left in his brain. I wonder if he so. just ate like a diet of like red meat and potatoes every day of his life. And then, <laughs> I could, I, you know, listen, you know, uh, from from a person born in 1906, he, he lived to his life expect- expectancy. So yeah, it wasn't he was six. Uh, it was that we figured at the age of 63. Right. If he was born in 06 and died in 69. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm no math major, but that's not 83. It's, uh, it's been a long day for me and uh, <laughs> the math part of my brain's not functioning right now. <laughs> How old no, it? no. The life expectancy in 1960 was 69 years. Oh, oh so it was just short. All right. I bet. Okay. Mm, poor Harry. Um, um, and Hammond, what a great middle name, Hammond. Yeah, I love that name. Hmm. Oh, yeah, great, great episode. Uh, I'd like to thank Chris for 99.9% of all this research, yeah, and Jesse for the other one percent because I did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all right, it's your, your turn next week. So, uh, no, 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 whose turn is it next week? Uh, I put my finger to my nose, and that means I'm out. All right, so, figure it out. yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think I'm up. Either way. Uh, no, thank you so much to our Patreons. If you if you like the show, and honestly, it, we, we really do talk and have fun and talk before the episodes, talk after the episodes. So if, if you want to be a part of that, there is a certain tier of our Patreon listeners who get to be a part of that and you can help support the podcast please check us out on patreon.com slash geology for we also uh, post or, uh, some 
extra extra videos and stuff there too. After we, we do. The podcast, we do. We'll have little little Patreon only extras where we talk. You know, we have a conversation. We talk about a topic, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. So yeah, it in. is. And um, yeah, or uh, uh, check us out on YouTube. Uh, you know, tell a friend. That's the uh, uh, best you're, way you're, to get hold, it out hold, there. Hold, hold. Patreon Whoa. website. You're going, you're caught up for a second. No, go, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> if you'd like to help us out on Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash geology flannel cast. I, I do believe I already said that about three seconds ago. So, but Did you, you could also check us out on Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. Uh, what else am I forgetting? Um, so YouTube, Twitter, Twitter. That's it. That's what I was saying. Uh, 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 Kelly Blake also posts us on LinkedIn. Her, uh, her Women in Geology episode, and we got a ton of likes from LinkedIn. So, yeah. Tell a friend, tell a friend Friday. Tell, tell a pal April. Tell a pal April. Tell an associate April. Is that- Ooh. Ooh. An associate April. I'd like that alliteration. Yeah. Nice. Much better. Um, also, uh, if you would like to tell help, a friend, April. Also, if you would like to help out the Geology Flannel Cast, other ways, uh, you go to geologyflannelcast.com. Check out our merch section. We have the lovely that? Geology Flannel Cast mug, as you can see right here for the people watching. Yes. Makes your coffee allegedly taste 20% better. <laughs> Not allegedly. Um, it's, it's a true fact. We also have some, yeah, we get some geology flannel cast t-shirts on there. You can order, we'll get you some stickers, very reasonably priced stickers. So uh, a couple of fun things to, that you can purchase on geologyflannelcast.com and help us out with uh, some of the costs associated with the podcast. Anyways, I think that's about it. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, take care. We'll see you guys next week with another fun and action-packed episode of the premier geology podcast, the geology flannel cast. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks for listening.